0: Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palette Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life.
1: Hello, this is Ilona Thompson with Palette Exposure. I'm coming to you uh, with very exciting guests today. Pope Valley Winery is where we are. It's a historic winery historic being the operative word, because it's um, one of the few pre-prohibition wineries in Napa Valley, absolutely gorgeous. I got a chance to see the case, we'll talk about it later. My guests are David and Diana, they're the new generation of a team really, uh, both marketing and operations, and of course the production that they oversee. And I also have um, Greg Fitzgerald, who's an assistant winemaker. Uh, the winemaker of record is the the famed Jean Hoffliger, um, and you work very closely with him, correct? Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. You. Thank you. Absolutely. So we'll start with the history of the place. I understand that this is 1897, original construction. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, the winery was built in 1897. It took around uh, nine years to dig the cellar out. Um, All by hand. All by hand. There was uh, quite a bit of labor back then from the quicksilver mines up in the back of the mountains here. Mm -hmm. Hope Valley was kind of a thriving community then. There was a lot more hustle and bustle going on back in the (laughs) late 1800s, early 1900s. So they were able to find the labor to come here and construct the building.
2: And then the building itself, they actually used the original redwood timbers from one of the the quicksilver mines in the area so kind of a throwback to when recycling products was popular as it is now and as you can see when we toured the cave um, just the massive size of the beams are something all in itself that are fun to look at
1: yes indeed i mean you're so close to napa that people are more familiar with yes really just a little uh short drive from silverado trail but it certainly is a whole other world here It is literally like throwback in time. I'm still kind of processing how special it is. (laughs)
0: It's kind of like the last frontier of Napa.
1: It's got to be. That's what people, I think, you know, in a historical sense would imagine Napa would look and feel like, but you don't see the physical manifestation of it, so Mm -hmm. here it is.
0: There's some larger ranches, a little more open space, and it makes it really nice. Yes. Kind of step away from the the city life, I guess.
1: no, it feels kind of rustic and remote, but at the same time, very welcoming. Yes,
0: yes. and um, it's, you know, it's just a jump over the hill. I always because I guess I'm always driving over the hill. So yeah. for me, it's ten minutes up to Angwin and then ten minutes down to St. Helena. So yeah,
1: and the road is just I mean, it's such a beautiful drive. Yeah, it's a little twisty turning, but you know, don't fret. It's not that long. <laughs> um, but it's gorgeous.
2: And we always tell people, you know, come enjoy the grounds. Really br- take everything in. Bring your picnic. Enjoy a tasting, find your favorite, grab a bottle, just relax, play some bocce. Um, During the spring and summer months, it's beautiful weather. We have tons of different tasting spaces for people to enjoy and just really reconnect with kind of how the wine industry all started.
1: It's such a unique characteristic because Napa, you know, really is sometimes short on space and also Mm -hmm. time frame because, you know, they want to welcome more guests and, you know, accommodate everybody. So it's pretty regimented. Especially in the valley floor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes. And here you're saying the exact opposite. Come <laughs> out over, relax. You know, bring some food, bring friends.
2: Wine is such a social thing, and I we really want our guests to enjoy the wine, the ambiance, and everything that this little corner of Napa has to offer. Yeah. And just really be able to ask the questions of our staff as if it was their own private tasting room, and just come and ask your questions, enjoy your wine. Find your new favorite or revisit one of your other favorites,
1: and it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, if I was like transported here yeah. to some molecular transformation and or blindfolded and wasn't told where I am, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that I would have said I was in half, but It's <laughs> kind of a world of itself. Yeah. Um, and that's so special in that of itself. So folks, take note. If you want to really relax and enjoy yourself, and you know, not feel rushed and enjoy some fabulous wines. It's, this is the spot, and speaking of fabulous wines, I have four glasses in front of me that I really can't wait to get into. Um, we're gonna be tasting and talking at the same time, and perhaps we'll um, start with the Sauvignon Blanc while we discuss your family story. How does that sound? Sounds, Sounds great. great.
0: So I'll start off with the farming, and then I'll hand it over to Greg. Mm-hmm. Excellent. For the farming, um, it's actually at our Echo Ranch, which is uh-huh. about five miles from here. Um, It's some uh, Sauvignon Blanc that we had planted on the estate there, Um, yielding, you know, it's a little higher yielding Sauvignon Blanc, but that's what kind of gives it that nice clean Christmas that it does have. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely with Jean, we did a few different things uh, in the vineyard, mainly up right during harvest um, Mm -hmm. to give this one a little more complexity. Um, And I'll, you know, send
3: that over to Greg to talk a little more about... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we actually did a dozen different lots of Sauvignon Blanc. We picked uh, five different picks to get different uh, maturity, different ripeness. The earlier lots were fermented in stainless steel. Mm-hmm. We used uh, a number of different yeasts to enhance the complexity. And then the later lots were crushed into tank and left to sit on the skins for 24 hours before pressing. And that gives a lot more um, viscosity and body and um, aromatics to the wine. So for this wine here, this is our reserve Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. This was more of the later pick with uh, more opulence. Um, 70% of it was barrel fermented in neutral French oak, which gives a really nice uh, round, full mouth feel.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Very uh, well balanced with the crisp acidity. And it is more on the tropical, profile, mm-hmm. where our other Sauvignon Blanc tends to lean more towards the citrus profile.
1: So you have two Sauvignon Blancs and this one is more full-bodied and you're describing a wine with a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. The traditional thing you have Sauvignon Blanc is more of a light-hearted, kind mm-hmm. of the appetizer, if you will, the teas and clean, crisp, that sort of characters. But um, this is really a very serious wine, but it's mm-hmm. a very happy wine
3: it's a lot of fun to make as well. Yes.
1: <laughs> and we actually do both for that reason, mm-hmm. to really showcase
2: the differences in the varietal and offer our club members and our tasters the best of both worlds. This is a smaller production. We do run through it in wine club um, fairly quickly, mm-hmm. whereas the other one is a little bit larger production and really made to be that fun, light wine. Yeah.
0: So. But even saying larger production is still very really small. I <laughs>
2: <it'll> <laughs> large for us.
0: Large for Comparatively. Us,
1: comparatively. You know, it was fascinating to listen to you describe the details of production. It's really labor intensive to pick small lots and then commingle them eventually, but it's a lot of intense mm-hmm. workout for you and John.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's extremely rewarding.
1: Yeah, The, well, the more,
3: more detail we can do as winemakers, the more exciting and rewarding it is for us. So we really try to push that as much as is as, as practical, to put as much work and attention and detail and labor into each lot and try to make as many different unique components as possible. Mm-hmm. So when it comes time to sit down and blend the wines, we have a lot to work with.
1: You know, as a Sauvignon Blanc lover, and I truly am, I'm very appreciative of your efforts. And I think it's just such an underrated category, and it can really blossom if you treat it correctly and mm, with absolutely. so much TLC and thoughtfulness. And that's what I'm tasting. It's a fabulous wine.
3: So happy to hear it. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Um, and it's available to the club, or can people purchase it? Just um, online?
2: Anyone can purchase it online or in our tasting room. Got it. The estate reserve is not widely distributed. Um, mm-hmm. The Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc you will find in a, a few wine shops and stuff throughout California and a few other states. But all of our wines can
1: be purchased online or here. In yeah, and that's really the best way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come taste, you know, hang mm-hmm. out, take it all in. Wine is context.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So, your family, Diana okay. Purchase mm-hmm. and David, uh, purchased the property in 1997, I understand. Is that correct? Yes, um, they did. But being
2: born and raised here in Pope Valley and yeah. Napa Valley, multi generational, it is fun because we were, we had been at the property prior to our family purchasing it. As young children, we had the opportunity to see the winery with previous owners mm-hmm. and know some of the founding family. So, the Haas family. Um, They've hosted um, family reunions here and other things, and we still keep in touch via social media. Some of the cousins from the original founding family will um, post on there. It's always fun. It's
1: always fun to keep that connection alive. Of course. So, yes. So your family is, was and still is in the construction business and has other interests that.
2: Yes, yeah. we pretty much do everything from. Wine the, related. Wine related from the <laughs> ground up. We have three yeah. different um, businesses. We have our general engineering. Con- construction company, mm-hmm. which does everything from vineyard removal to developing rocky terrain to reservoirs, concrete pads for wineries, engineered projects. And then we, David and I actually started a vineyard management company to not only better farm our own, our own fruit, but to help other wineries and vineyards in the area as well
0: farm. The whole reason we started that so. was so we didn't have to worry about our labor.
2: Yeah, no um,
0: So now like when Greg and I work and Jean work close together... Like a twelve you know, we had what, four or five different picks on the Sauvignon Blanc. At least five. five. And so that's a lot for like a small winery to undertake. Be like, Oh, we're gonna pick all these small lots. Well, with our own vineyard management, we're able to call Daniel, our my right hand man, and say, Hey, you know, we need to pick this lot this day, this lot that day, this many tons, and it's all coordinated and problem solved and grapes show up on the crush pad and Everybody's happy.
1: That's probably one of the biggest issues in the valley, right? It's
0: yeah, labor. Labor. and so like in
1: quality, ex- quantity,
0: mm-hmm. quality because we're able to pick it and literally have it here within a, an hour. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: that's pretty remarkable. You have full time crews then.
0: Yeah, but yeah. they work about nine months a year. Got it. Uh, nine to ten. Yes, yeah, so this is
1: very integrated. This very is again a very unique feature of your business That soup to mm-hmm. nuts. Everything is covered, everything mm-hmm. is in your control. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that means you have a lot more, you know, ownership in every aspect of the business.
0: Yes. We're able to facilitate everything that we need, you know, when we need it on a timely manner, which I think really does help with the quality. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um so you're very uniquely positioned clearly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you also have a lot of part in this because you grew up here. Yes. Yes. This is so interesting to me because a lot of kids that grow up in the valley, they eventually venture out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't, but it's not a given. With you, you know, having grown up around Mm -hmm. this, you clearly made a choice Mm -hmm. to take over the business recently. So tell me about that.
0: Yeah, so Diane and I both went to Chico State. Um got our degrees in agriculture business I think that's what yes we, yeah. we
2: both did I focused on the marketing and business side of it and David focused on business agriculture. and agriculture plant science um, QAL all of that so we actually make a really great team because we're okay. kind of two sides of the same coin and we were very lucky is when our family was looking at the next generation where are they going to do next we decided to take the opportunity to come on board as owners and buy out the rest of the family's owners. So it's now my wow. dad, Sam, and then David and I here at the winery. So you're all That's in. It. We're all in. All we're in. all in.
0: Well, I mean, it even yeah. goes back to, like, even the Cabernet that we're trying. I I believe I helped plant those vines when I was a kid. And that was, oh like, my God. the summertime. My dad would be like, oh, we'll go to the vineyard. There's driving equipment, um, working with um, the guys in the field, learning about the vineyard or just being child labor. Uh, <laughs> but it gives you a good outlook on life, on work ethic and kind of where things start and and where things can go. So, you know, having a broad spectrum of actually doing every job that we've had myself, like hands-on, you know, um, and understanding the the tasks and what it takes to get everything done. You know,
1: know, the Valley is such a patchwork of different iterations of how people came to Mm -hmm. be there and, you know, there's a fair amount of Ownership that came from another walk of life that just bought into mm-hmm. the idea of winemaking and there's just, and you know being the gentleman farmer and such like that and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that I think that's um, that's great I mean that's the beauty of the value. everybody's in the pool yes mm-hmm. very inclusive but in your case it is such a grassroots mm-hmm. yes. situation um, that it has in my eyes a tremendous amount of value because you have no illusions of what the wine business is (laughs) you worked it from early on yeah um and i think that really bodes well for a sustainable long-term strategic you know 100-year plans
0: (laughs) yeah i think it's important like our dad was always sam was always just we'll go do it there's no excuse not to do it just just, you know do it learn and you're going to make mistakes along the way and that's how you learn too and and we are
2: lucky because he has really given us the freedom to kind of bring the winery into what our vision of the winery mm-hmm. is and where we want to take it. And we're lucky too because we still, we get to continue that legacy and allow our children to be here. Yeah. Um, it's not uncommon to see them here, whether it's raking up the grounds or bussing tables, washing windows, and allowing them to kind of also have their place within the industry and learn how it, how it all starts. And it's such a
1: healthy way to grow up. It is. I noticed she didn't say they there on the iPad or on playing video games.
0: No, from like, time to time.
2: From <laughs> time to time,
1: we try to limit that. But um, it, I think it's
2: a valuable lesson, and I think it's part of knowing where the wine comes from. Yes. And how to continue it and really appreciating it, just like the cruise. I mean, David and I both worked in the vineyard. David a little bit more
0: than I. Oh, sorry, i Spanish.
2: Yeah, that's true. But uh-huh. it, it is definitely gives you an appreciation and allows you to relate with you know everything that makes the winery what it is and how to run it.
1: I also think it's so important that you own your own land, your own vineyards, because I think mm-hmm. there's so much empowerment there. Besides the control that you have, it's also you have the freedom. Mm-hmm. Cost of land in Napa, as we all know, had basically spun out of control, and it's only going to trend yes. in one direction, it's not yes. going to go down. Mm-hmm. So people sometimes are restricted mm-hmm. by economic reality, for example, planting mm-hmm. Cabernet, because yeah. that's what yields economically the best result. Yes. In your case, you can experiment. You can plant other varietals. You yes. yes, which we're
0: working on actually right yeah. now. We're doing a few little acres here at the winery of some Zinfandel, um, Cabernet Franc, and a little more Cabernet. And then at another piece of property, we're doing a few acres of Malbec, Petit Syrah, and Petit Verdot. To kind of add to the complexity of our wines and make some single vineyard, single varietal
3: wines.
1: That's so fun. Mm-hmm. That must be such a great playground for you.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get, get into production. The Petit Syrah was one that I definitely <laughs> pushed. I really like the Petit Syrah in yeah. this area, and I'm very excited to have some of our own.
1: Yeah, I bet. Petit Syrah can be such a voluptuous, yeah. voluminous mm-hmm. variety. Yeah. Well, Done right, it's just a party in the mouth
3: yeah and this is the perfect microclimate for it wow
1: how exciting yeah and i think that's
2: what we try to focus on is doing varietals that grow well not just forcing the varietals on the soil and the climate but Mm -hmm. growing what grows well here and then taking it to both david and john and greg's vision and giving our club members and our guests diversity mm-hmm. um we always say you come all the way down here and you you don't get just a cookie cutter wine you get to really taste unique varietals that mm-hmm. our heart and soul went into and you can
1: find what what your fit is mm-hmm. yeah and right. imagining it to the land yeah mm-hmm. it's so important because it's still an experiment people think just because napa is so established in in you know consumers' minds. It's a really mm-hmm. premier wine region in the U.S. But still, there's a fair amount of experimentation going on. There's still a lot of learning curves, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sangiovese is a really great example of that. It's a, a grape that we have a fair amount of land planted, to. We make uh, our rosé and a red sangiovese, and that's something that is, is hard to find elsewhere.
1: Very cool. Speaking mm-hmm. of rosé, it's right in front of me, <laughs> yeah. so... I think it's a good time to give it a, a whirl. Mm. This is the 29, 29,
2: 2019 Rose, mm-hmm. and it's slated to be released here April 1st. We haven't released it in the tasting room yet, so we're excited we'll have a fun little release party here at the winery where our guests can come try it. I
1: have a feeling your club's pretty fun. You have a lot of events.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we do we have
1: a number of events.
2: We just finished our crab feed up in February. Um, Sold out house to 200 people. It's always a great time. And then our next bigger event is our Prime Rib Feed, and that is in June. And it's a really nice Prime Rib dinner. Our friends Mark Powell and his band fly in from Texas and give an amazing show. Oh, my God. I think I'm marking my calendar. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's a lot of fun, and we never disappoint. It's kind of the perfect excuse to have a fun party.
1: Yes. And
2: we have a lot of little club release parties in between and club events. We do throughout the summer months have our wine and food Saturdays. So once a month, we bring in different food trucks and catering trucks to kind of highlight the diversity of cuisine within Napa. Hmm. Um, we bring in some live music, and we encourage everybody to come down, grab a bite to eat, grab a glass of wine,
1: and taste, enjoy, and just have some fun. Sounds pretty perfect. Yeah, and hmm. I don't think I can't give any better time than <laughs> <laughs> hanging around great food and great wine. Yeah. Yes. So you have no excuse, you (laughs) heard what you need to be doing on your Saturday. So Um, this rosé is fantastic. It's got such bright acidity, Mm. Um, tons of really nice red fruit. I mean, it's very balanced and, you know, very, again, texturally sound.
3: So this is a good example of what we can do with our own farming company, where the Sangiovese block, we farm um, two portions of it differently. Um, One portion we farm for rose where we keep uh, more crop on the vine and we have a little less uh, exposure to the light because we're really looking to um, develop grapes that are going to be low in tannin, low in sugar, and high in acidity because that's what you really need to make a great rose. This um, Fruit is, is pressed, uh, direct to press, mm-hmm. so um, it, it just really keeps all of the fresh uh, brightness in the juice and then we ferment it cool and try to um, coax as much of the floral and uh, you know, melon, just beautiful uh, light fruit character.
1: My ears really barked up when you said, we farm for rosé. You don't hear those words often.
3: Well, yeah, because we used to,
0: a, a well, quite a few years ago, we, you know, a lot of people make a signet where you just bleed exactly. off the tank, a drain off the tank, I guess. No nice way of really saying it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I came to the conclusion where I was like, well, this one portion of the vineyard, after looking at it and harvesting it for so many years, because um, I used to make the wine from 2008 to 2012, 20, oh. something like that. So uh, <laughs> something, like, I don't know, something like that. Um, <laughs> And so I, seeing that, I was like, well, this one portion of the vineyard is a little more vigorous. It is, does want to produce a little more. Mm-hmm. And San Gervaisi alone has a bigger clusters. And I was like, you know, if we're going to make a rosé, let's just really, we're going to make it anyway. Mm-hmm. So let's make it the right way and start with the farming. And uh, so we did that.
1: I think that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a flood of mediocre rosé in the market. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's one of those varietals that kind of gets exploited. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so to me, a, a really good rosé is a true find, Yes. and it's so pleasurable to consume, and it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, so many different versions at mm-hmm. all. I mean, this is a full-on wine that happens to be a rosé wine.
0: Yes, and that's how I feel, is like it's so hard to get that balance if you're, you know, doing, doing the Signe route. It's so hard to create the right balance where a rosé, I think, should be, mm-hmm. and so that's why we decided to do that on the farming side.
1: Yeah, this is really unique and, and so worthwhile. I'm so happy that I have it in my glass. I might have to go back to it to <laughs> chat. Um, So you just mentioned that you were making wine for a few years. And, yes. Um, you obviously still are very much involved in production. Um yes. mm-hmm. Tell me about the Jean Hoflager decision. How did you decide uh, to en- engage him?
0: I met him through <laughs> uh, my wife who works for him. Oh, okay. And um, to begin with, we've just been friends. Um, he works f- buys fruit from some people that I know as well. Mm-hmm. And when we were moving, we had a winemaker here full time. And it didn't seem like quite the right fit at the time. So mm-hmm. when we, I always worked with a consultant when I was making wine. Sure. I really appreciated how to the point um, they were. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like we needed that mm-hmm. um, focus. And so by bringing John on, he's actually really fun to work with. He knows what he's talking about. And he's not afraid to voice his opinion and where we want to go with things as well. And he's very confident, which I appreciate because I don't have the time to him and haw about different decisions. Yeah. And so when we make a decision, we go, we move. Again, it goes back to the vineyard management or planting or everything and the winemaking. And so he's able to make decisions and then talking to Johnny recommended work hiring Greg mm-hmm. to work with us, mm-hmm. and I actually had the opportunity of working with Greg on a different level over at the previous winery.
1: It's like a Kevin Bacon thing.
0: And Nobody's so we're, it just, it just, yeah. seemed, it just <laughs> seemed like it worked so well, yeah. and so it was like, okay, this is the direction we're going. And um, I appreciate because between Jean and Greg, it's just very, you know, professional, straightforward, and we make the most out of our times and the most out of our wines. And and that's so, very important,
1: maximizing that value because
2: so much yes. effort
0: goes into it. Yeah, think, and so it's just important.
1: I'd say with continuity
2: too, it gives us continuity and a game plan to build on. Mm-hmm. Um, as David and I took over and came on as owners, we really wanted to produce the best wine we can to showcase not only the winery, but okay. our Pope Valley and our land and our vision for it. And by having such a great team, we're very much about teamwork. Being small, you have to be. You can't have just one department here and one department there. We're definitely boots on the ground. You'll see us all involved in every aspect. And really building that team that can help us grow was such a huge part of it. And Greg's a great, you know, he's here, any questions we have, and just really working with John and David to really bring it full circle into where we wanna be.
1: No, it's such smart business decisions. You have such an amazing support system. And John had the opportunity to get to know him over the years a little. He takes his work very seriously, but not himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and that's a great quality to have. Yeah, that's so well he's said. wicked, wicked talented. But he certainly is uh, a really generous person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Humble. So I can see how it would be a perfect fit here.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for you to have someone that you can bounce stuff off of and you know, it's, it's really very really collaborative It's effort. really
3: valuable to have different opinions and different palettes and to be able to discuss things and work through all the details it comes through in the end product.
1: Yeah, now you have like a perfect marriage here, you have such <laughs> intensity when it comes to vineyard is part of it, yes. which you know you obviously hands-on 100% and then you have, I mean again the phrases <clears throat> the wine is made in the vineyards, you know, the wine is yes. grown in the vineyards, it's made mm-hmm. in the cellar, right? So you have the cellar work where really you need to take and galvanize all the efforts that's been made mm-hmm. with respect to the land and craft this, you know, iteration of what the vision is both on that side, mm-hmm. on the vineyard side, and transmitting that terroir, mm-hmm. but also crafting a product that's pleasing for the consumer. And there's so many intricate decisions that go into it there's so many different versions of it that could happen
3: yeah i remember Absolutely.
1: asking john a question that was years and years ago and i said when are you happy when the final blend and his response was when the bottling truck's in the driveway i have to be <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and I, it really stuck with me because it's true i mean you can keep going at infinitum mm-hmm.
0: yeah. well there's so many variables um between just the farming the winemaking that that can change a line. Yeah. You know, every one decision can spiral it. And yeah. you're
2: making decisions for future, for years to come. It's not like one decision now is being made for tomorrow. You're making Absolutely. decisions for future years on where you want to be. And
1: so much hard work goes into it. And then there's this D day, not day days during harvest. Yes. When <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, this is your test. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and that's a whole year's work that oh, has
1: to work heart. out. So no pressure. No pressure.
0: Yeah. In a ball. I'm pretty easygoing. I, I take everything yeah. with stride. <laughs> I, kinda, mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, there's always problems to solve. And yeah. you can either do it in a good way or a bad way. Yeah. Greg and I work really well together on making those decisions during harvest, whether we're stressed out or mm-hmm. not or, you know, but lack we, of sleep. we do
3: a lack of sleep. <laughs> but we do a good job on bringing it all together. we're all very passionate about what we do and we just keep sight of the big picture and Mm -hmm. we're we're all good problem solvers so if things do come up we just get together and be like okay what's the best way to approach this and as a team we decide it and we move forward and then on to the next thing and (laughs) I think that's just the best way to do it
1: That's kind of Mm -hmm. poster children (laughs) that you are for running a successful business. That's how it's supposed to work. Yes. Yes. You know, people go to very expensive retreats and (laughs) basically this is our retreat. retreat. This is our our our
3: our 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 working retreat.
1: No, that's (laughs) awesome. I mean, I could really feel even just being with you here this morning, the goodwill. It's just it's there, and you know, we talked about the TOR. In the mm-hmm. traditional sense, but that human terroir. Yes. Okay. When there's a transference of who you are and how you treat each other. Yes.
3: Yeah. So that, well, so. that
1: has an impact. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.